podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am your host, Tom Holmes, and unfortunately there is no Leanne this week. She's um, at a job interview currently. It was a bit of a nightmare scheduling-wise. But to make up for that, I have got two phenomenal guests and two phenomenal articles to get into. We are going to start with Josh Williams. Josh, how are you, my friend? I'm good, mate. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to have you back on. And we've also got... Alex Barillaro, who is back to talk about the midfield and not uh, a bunch of foreign players, which is a nice change. Alex, how are you? Hello, Omega. How are you doing? Uh, I resent the nice change there. I quite like the <laughs> and ranties about uh, foreign players. But no, um, yeah, no, it's nice to... It's, well, rather than talking about a foreign player we don't have, I'm here talking about a foreign player we did buy in the summer and, and a player who's being maligned, much maligned. Um, but yeah, it's good. I'm glad to be on. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's good to have you on again. Um, we will come to uh, Fabinho later on in the program, but we are going to start off with packing. And packing is a really interesting and complex set of data that, uh, Josh, you've written a really, really interesting article on, article on it. It's incredibly insightful. So why don't you kick us off, rather than doing what we normally do, which is talk us through the article, why don't you just sort of start by talking us through packing, what it is, how it works, and sort of why we're talking about it at the moment. Okay, um, I'll keep it really simple then because it's, it's very easily confused. I think I, I, I initially took quite a while myself just getting to grips with the whole concept. So it's basically an analytical, um, metric, let's say, to how, how to analyze a game created by a German organization called Impact and they've been good enough to let me use their data. But packing in simple terms is any player is more likely to score if there are fewer opponents between themselves and the goal. So Packen accumulates the number of opposing players that Team A, say Liverpool, the number of opposing players that Liverpool bypass during a match, as well as how many bypasses Liverpool suffer. So any attacking team has to progress beyond the defending team to some extent in order to score a goal. So the overall aim throughout the large majority of matches is to basically outplay the opposing team. So... Any opposing player that's outplayed by being dribbled past or crossed beyond or passed beyond is thus recorded as packed, um, as they're no longer able to, to prevent the ongoing attack. Um, and then the, the fair to specify, um, in terms of packing defenders. So in addition to recording opponents, which is what I've just talked about, they also record which of those opponents are specified as defenders. As outplaying a defender is obviously more likely to result in a goal than outplaying, you know, a striker, for example. So defenders are characterized by impact as the last six players defending the goal. The last six players between, you know, the man on the ball and the goal. Um, so, for example, those players in most cases would probably be the goalkeeper, the left-back, right-back, centre-back, centre-back and defensive midfielder if they're playing, you know, a, a traditional formation. Um, then these, these defenders are perceived as more valuable as if, if they're outplayed 
obviously the likelihood is that a scoring opportunity is going to follow. So that's the basic concept. Hopefully, I'll, it'll be easier to understand as we progress into the podcast. But um, if you at this point, if you're speculating as to whether you understand it or not, you will come to understand as we as we go on to talk about it. Okay, that's really good. So I'm going to sort of stick with you, Josh, now that now that you sort of described the basics to get into Liverpool. And obviously, as a team, we are one of the best teams in the league. So it would make sense that we are one of those teams that tend to bypass opponents more and tend to get bypassed less. But maybe you can sort of go into maybe some of the numbers, but also some of the general picture of how Liverpool as a team are packing so far this season. Okay, well, I I separated it myself in terms of um, progression. And penetration. That's, that's something that's not really been done. That's something that I'm, I'm not even sure is the correct thing to do. I'm totally honest with you. I've, I've received no messages from the, like, the lads at Impact. So hopefully it's a good thing. But that was how I understood it. I understood if you progress beyond opponents as a whole, just view that as progression. If you progress beyond opposing defenders, that's then, you know, you're penetrating there. That's, that's an attempt to, to really create a scoring chance. So in terms of progression, so simply progressing beyond opponents, um, Liverpool outplay 357 opponents per match. That's through passing, dribbling and crossing. And that's bettered only by Man City with 414 and Chelsea with a pretty high 448. Uh, Liverpool are ahead of Arsenal, ahead of Spurs, ahead of Man United. Um, and the top six take up the top six positions and there's no real surprise there and Liverpool are quite in the middle really I mean Man City and Chelsea are considerably ahead and then there's a bit of a jump to Liverpool and then there's a bit of a jump again then to the to Arsenal Spurs and Man, and Man United so Liverpool are a little bit in the middle I'm not surprised that Chelsea are top I, I addressed that in the article that's just due to Sarri's approach to the game the whole verticality concept the likes of Eden Hazard and Jorginho bypassing opponents consistently. The likes of David Luiz at the back, Rudiger at the back, just consistently playing, um, splitting passes through the middle. Uh, but Liverpool performed quite well in that sense. And then if you look at how, how many opponents we bypassed through pressing, again, Liverpool performed fairly well. But in comparison to the likes of City and Chelsea, um, we perform better than City and Chelsea don't perform too well in terms of bypassing opponents through pressing. And I address in the article that's likely due to the fact that whenever City and Chelsea press, it's usually at a point whereby the the opposition are penned in. The opposition are just in a deep block and he can't really get out. So if the oppo- if the opponent then wins the ball and Chelsea or City press, if they win the ball back, the opposing team's already penned in anyway. So they're unlikely to bypass many opponents by doing so. Whereas Liverpool, if Liverpool press the opponent and win the ball, we don't tend to pen in the opposition as much or as frequently. We tend to prefer the game to be a bit more of a contest. We invite the opposition out at our usual mid-block. Um, so whenever we do win the ball, we tend to bypass more opponents. So we're more consistent in in our means of bypassing the opponent than Chelsea and City, who are basically better with the ball on us. But in terms of the overall game, and bypassing opponents through more through a variety of means, we're better. Um, similar to Spurs, we're the same as Spurs in that sense. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's the basics in terms of opponents. 
And then if you look at penetration, which is bypassing defenders, the business end of the pitch, we're the league's best in terms of being the most balanced. So we bypass the third most defenders, I think it is. On a sec. Oh no, the second most defenders, sorry. So we bypass 54 defenders per match. Chelsea bypass 56, City bypass 52. But in terms of what we concede, we're the third best, which means that overall, if you pair the two together, looking at defence and attack, we are the most balanced side in the league, um, which obviously bodes well moving forward. So hopefully I haven't confused it too much already, because as I said, there's a lot to, there's a lot to cover and there's really specific wording that you've got to use to, to make sure that you differentiate between the two. But I'll leave it at that for now. Hopefully I've, I've been clear enough with that. No, yeah, I mean, I thought that was a really, really excellent explanation. I mean, if you know, if you look at the table, this is about halfway down the article for anyone who's sort of following with us. Um, and that's the, the bypassed uh, defenders and suffered bypassed defenders. You know, you can see that Chelsea uh, are very, very attacking based. They're not particularly balanced because they're quite, they tend to concede quite a lot of um, uh, of, pack, of packs, sorry, of their, their teams, their defenders tend to be bypassed quite a bit more than Liverpool and City who are in a bit of a calibre of their own at the moment, which I guess would kind of, reflect on how you'd feel the opening sort of 10 11 games have gone you'd imagine at the moment anyway even if Chelsea are hanging in their results while as Liverpool and City have been the two two best teams in the league um Alex I'm going to jump to you now to sort of let you have your say on everything we've discussed so far so sort of Liverpool as a team and how they're packing um what what have you made of some of the numbers and does this to you sort of reflect what you would instinctively sort of see from Liverpool so far this season um, yeah, well, it's, it was surprising, to be honest, in terms of looking at the numbers and seeing how effective we were at bypassing lines, because I get the sense that if we had packing last season, and, and if Josh had done uh, what well, he'd done so excellently this season with the kind of wider spread of numbers last season, we'd probably be even further ahead of the other sides, because um, in terms of dissecting this tactically, look at City like to stretch past players in the wide spaces um, and packing seems very concentrated on, on bypassing players as a collective, i.e. the in Josh's article he uses the point of Shakiri's pass to Salah. Um, Shakiri basically scoots past four defenders, then the pass to Salah scoots through another four defenders. City are very focused on just putting their... Uh, utilizing their pace in a one-on-one situation, especially out wide. So Sterling and Sane are excellent at that. De Bruyne, when he did play last season, was excellent at, I guess, packing with a vertical pass. But a lot of the times that'd be diagonal. Um, in contrast to Chelsea, who again, as Josh mentions in the article, have Kov- Mateo Kovacic, Eden Hazard, Ross Barkley, and forwards like Alvaro Morata and Olivier Giroud, who one plays kind of more as an advanced forward getting in behind and the other one plays as a forward this back to goal scooting passes through to, to kind of uh, bypass players with quick passing and that plays into packing itself. Whereas I think City and tactically City doesn't necessarily... Uh, com- it, it's interesting because they do kind of utilize packing in a way. They just utilize it out wide where the numbers are quite kind of inflected a bit they're a bit kind of conflated by okay you're only going past one player but you're making that pass the most effective one it can possibly be because you're then crossing from out wide 
Um, and that's not necessarily packing, but a more refined kind of tactic of stretch than compress, um, which is why City are far and away the superior side in the league because tactically they are untouchable right now because of what Pep's built. In terms of Liverpool, it's reassuring seeing the numbers that you can see in the article because we are the most effective team in terms of the balance and, and what Klopp's created this season has been a defence that no longer panics. And I wrote about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, a a defence that no longer concedes stupid corners, no longer concedes silly mistakes, um, and, and discounting Allison's blunder, and obviously the goal that we conceded against Arsenal. Um, you got to think that what Klopp built is more sustainable than kind of the chaotic, frenzied, maniacal attack, attack, attack of last season, uh, in which we bypassed the midfield entirely and kind of utilised packing of, in the terms of a very direct sense. But if we're going to make this sustainable, it's good that we've got the balance. At the same time, the last few games we've seen our XG drop significantly. Huddersfield should have come out with a point against a City only escaped, or we only escaped with a point against City because of Riyad Mahrez's catatonic penalty. Um, Arsenal had a case to, to say they deserve three points. I guess we also did. And obviously the Red Star game was probably the low point of this start of the season. So it's all well and good saying we are bypassing players um, quickly in the same way that City and Chelsea are. And it's, it's all good saying that our defenders are mostly solid when it comes to not being bypassed. But we need to start tactically making that viable and tactically turning that into goals. Um, and again, it's the, it's the constant, not necessarily battle, but the constant push and pull and symbiosis between tactics and statistics where you have to figure out the right way. Um, and right now we've seen Manchester City figure out that way and Liverpool very much have not. Um, one question I did want to raise um, before we move on to talk about individual players, which is obviously something we are going to do. Um, Josh, to your eyes, according to the data, because I had a cursory glance at some of the numbers, because um, uh, Impact, follow them on Twitter, they're phenomenal. They they have done sort of tables throughout the season. Has it been the case for you that Liverpool have actually sort of, their 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 packing numbers have sort of dropped over the course of the season so far, do you think? Or um, am I am I sort of reading something into that that isn't necessarily there? Uh, I would I wouldn't necessarily say the numbers have dropped in a in a means of you know that that would be concerning. Um, I think roughly throughout the whole season we've bypassed roughly the same amounts of defenders. And when it's, obviously I'm saying defenders here, which means the business end of the pitch, not opponents. Opponents would be the whole opposition eleven. Defenders is the business end. So in terms of, in terms of that, we've been roughly averaging around say fifty. Two to fifty-eight, maybe on average per match. That's remained fairly consistent. Something that has perhaps not regularly, but it's steadily maybe dropped, possibly averaging out. Maybe I'm not sure. Is the, the amount of bypass defenders that we've suffered? So our defence is slightly maybe allowed. More on average, gradually per match. That may that may have come with the rotation. That may have come with, you know, the, the formation changes. Perhaps I'm not really sure. Um, but that 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 is a change of that gradually noticed. It's not, as I said, it's not something that that 
a case of us now having bad figures because we still had the third best in the league in terms of defence. But it's something that's gradually um, got a little bit worse. And one worrying thing that I have noticed is that City, City have progressively got better um, since the start of the season, certainly in defence. And in attack, I'll just check now. Hang on. But I think City have they've maintained the same rough average as us, but City's numbers have progressively got tighter and they've progressively got more compact by the looks of things. And Liverpool maybe have gone the other way. Um, uh, you know, make what you want of that. But the, the bottom line is, but two very well drilled sides, um, and two very two very well drilled teams in terms of. You know, there's a considerable gap between us two and the rest of the league. Wolves, believe it or not, are the third best team in the league, along with Chelsea. They've got the same average in terms of bypassing defenders. But to address your initial question, I wouldn't say there's been a, a drop off gradually. Just just in terms of the defence, maybe only a little bit though. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. I mean, I'm just looking at the sort of the numbers um, after five games. Liverpool's bypass defenders was 55, which was the same as City. Um, and after nine games, Liverpool were down to 54.4 and City were 52. So, you know, it's, as you say, it's not massively different in attack. But in defence, we were on 25 defenders suffered by past, which made us a net of 30. And City were on 36 by pass per game, which dropped them down to 19. And then, as you say, after nine, City's suffered has dropped to 30 and ours has gone up to 31, which means that the net has narrowed from being about 11 to about one. So, yeah, as you say, we've slightly got maybe slightly worse in terms of uh, we're, we're letting our defenders get bypassed more in the last handful of games where a city have gone the other way. Um, so so how, how do we marry that tactically then? How do, oh, not necessarily tactically. How do we improve? How do we start getting shots off in the right areas to actually score goals? Because anyone can see the performance against Red Star wasn't isolated or it didn't well, occur in a vacuum. How how do how then do we go from bypassing players to bypassing players in the right spot? Yeah, well, one in, one interesting thing that I, di- I didn't include in the article, but I have posted on the Twitter since, is bypass defenders per goal, um, and Liverpool's. I'm going to say, let me just check it. So Liverpool creates a lot of attacks. Obviously, Liverpool creates a lot of penetration, but the second best in the league. But in terms of how many defenders they bypass per goal. We're about mid-table. I've got it in front of me now, Josh. Yeah. Um, so City were 18, 18 defenders by pass per, by pass per goal, which is the best in the league. Arsenal and by Chelsea, who, Arsenal and Chelsea are 22 and 23, and those two are obviously, as we know, the second and third top scorers. We are down in mid-table on 27, which is, um, it's, you know, it's a lot closer to the top than the bottom, look at it that way, but that's mostly because there's a handful of teams in this league that are absolutely awful. So um, you say we're closer, closer to City than Southampton. Southampton are 60. <laughs> 60. So, 60. yeah. Yeah, uh, there's about... It's, it's, about... I'm surprised it's not 160. I mean, you can... Charlie Austin and Shane Long's impertinence yeah. to scoring. Um, but no, but that it, it does kind of raise the question about, okay, so we're bypassing players, but are we bypassing them too much on the dribble? Because I don't think our pressing's been effective at all. Um, Klopp's been quoted as saying at Dortmund again again pressing is the best playmaker in the world and it seems like he's lost the best playmaker in the world six months after he lost Coutinho um whether or not Salah 
his finishing at the same level as last year is kind of irrelevant because his finishing last year was always going to drop down. And Firmino needs Salah to be finishing to do his dirty work and grunge work in the deep, dip, deep, dark depths of the midfield. So how do we get to that level of Manchester City's clinical, not just clinical finishing, but bypassing players and making a count on the, on the scoreboard, not just on the scoreboard, but on the XG count, which the last few games has been pretty dismal. Is it something to do with width, do you reckon? Because we get the ball to Salah, uh, Mo, uh, Mane, Trent, and they'll beat players and they'll, you know, so they'll be set, there'll be indications of where we'll, we'll get, you know, we'll get goal side of a defender in a wide area or, and we'll be goal, goal side of the entire midfield at that point. But then by the time we've actually got the ball into a decent area, the midfielders have been able to get back and there'll still be, you know, three, four defenders between us and the goal. So we're, we're bypassing defenders. We're bypassing players, but we're not, but with the areas we're doing it in are so wide that by the time we've got the ball back into the mix or got the ball back into a decent area, we've made it too easy for the defenders to get back or get across. Yeah, I wouldn't that, say it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily width, but I'd say it's a case of a lack of support, perhaps. So if we do feed the ball to one of our attackers, such as, I don't know, Salah or something like that, Firmino high up, if they, if they control that ball, then that is, that is, um, recorded as a pact, because, because the, then, th- then players will be recorded as pact, whoever's being bypassed, because the ball has been secured. But then, it's, it's the next pass, I think, but one reason our attack has been really poor so far this season is because we've just had a real lack of support. Th- this will be talked about further into the podcast when we talk about the next topic. But I think the lack of an attack in midfield there is a, a big thing behind this because if, if you look back at our performances last season and our real counter-attacking um, goals and our top transition moments, there's been there's been about four players attacking, not not three. There's, and if you if you include an extra midfielder arriving late into you know the concept of of, of an attack, it really does add a different dimension to it. Um, and I think overall we, we're really lacking support to the front three this season. So if the ball does get secured high up, high up the field, and a couple of the opposing defenders have been bypassed, we, we then, I think we're then being very wasteful. And one of the reasons we're being wasteful, as I said, is because, um, the, because of the lack of support. The, the ball's just getting lost and the ball's coming back. And as a result, we have to bypass the same defender two or three times in the same move exactly, yeah. to get exactly. a goal. Whereas someone like City, once they bypass the defender, they can just push on and and get the goal. I think that's I think that's a really important point. Um, we'll move on. I mean, it doesn't help that none of our if if our midfielders do get forward, they can't shoot. Genie's atrocious at shooting from within from 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 anywhere outside the six yard box. Genie just can't finish, which is just not helpful. Um, we'll go on to talk about individual players now because you've collected some really interesting data on some of the players. You can see that. Um, I mean, we can, we'll talk about the individual players in a minute, but you can, see, you can see Milner's packing is phenomenal. You can see someone like Genie's really solid defensively, and then you've got other players in there as well. Um, why don't you talk, talk us through some of the, the players that you found interesting? We can talk about the ones in the article, but uh, I don't know if you've got any other players there. But if there are any other, any other names that aren't in the article that you wanted to mention or talk about, that would be great as well, Josh. Yeah, well, I think we've got to look at the midfield first. I think um, we'll talk about Milner first because he's obviously... Somewhat, somewhat surprisingly, the best in the league uh, in this position. I have to stress the point as well. This is relative, relative to your position. So if I say 
Andy Robertson's the best in the league. That means he's the best left back in the league. It, this is purely based on the rival competitors in his position. So in terms of Milner, um, he bypasses 50 opponents per match. Uh, that's a lot. And that's better than 93% of players in this position. 8.6 of those opponents, 8.6 of those 50 are defenders, which again, better than 91% of the league. And that roughly means Milner is bypassing a defender every six opponents, I think it is. Which is, you know, that's it's good, like, but it's not a... Um, not special, but in terms of, you know, overall, the numbers he's posting is better than a lot of the, a lot of his uh, competitors. Defensively, Milner's outstanding. Milner's um, he averages twelve point one per match in terms of stopping opposing players from bypassing beyond them. But what one player I do really want to talk about is Wine Album. Wine Album's a player that really. Well, I was going to say he divides opinion, but he doesn't really. The, the, the opinion on Ryan Alden throughout the majority of the fan base is that he's good. People love him. Never really gets much stick. Apart from maybe the, the guys who analyse, the, the guys with the stats who, who were aware that he goes missing the other time. But in terms of bypassing opponents, Ryan Alden bypasses 18 per match, which is bad. That's, comp- that's in comparison to Milner. Milner bypasses 50. So they're playing roughly in the same position, roughly the same role. One's bypassing 18, one's bypassing 50. That's ridiculous. Wijnaldum's number of 18 is better than just 9% of the league in terms of midfielders bypassing opponents. If we look at specifically defenders, he bypasses 2.3 per match. I'm going to pause a little bit now because that's ridiculous. 2.3 defenders per match. That's better than four percent of the mid of the midfielders in the league, um, and this again I wrote in the piece that this this took me back to a piece I wrote over a year ago, and it was just I I watched the match I think it was against Crystal Palace last season, and I, I followed Wijnaldum for the whole match, just watching Wijnaldum and nothing else, just the way he moved, the way he offered himself, um. And I just found it odd, just when you watch him, the, the way he acts on the pitch in terms of contributing to build-up play, I just found it a bit odd. I looked into his stats, and after 76 Premier League games at the time, this was back then, for the New- Liverpool and Newcastle, Wijnaldum had completed six through balls in total in 76 matches. So I think there's a bit of a myth out there that Wijnaldum's very good, you know, he's a good attacking player, or... or it, Make no bones about it, Wine Album is the predominantly safe player in our midfield, not Jordan Anderson, who everyone thinks goes backwards all the time. Um, you know, not, not Fabinho, not Milner, it's Wine Album. Wine Album does not go forwards. Wine Album contributes very little in terms of build-up play. He's very good defensively, he prevents 10 opponents per match from progression beyond them, which betters 91% of the league. So, obviously that's 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 decent. Obviously, that's that's a um, that's a number that that he should be proud of. But he's a really odd player, I think. Why not? Because in the Cardiff game, for example, he completed the hundred hundred eleven passes against Cardiff. So he's he's a player that's he's really hard to put your finger on in terms of what he contributes and where he can 
where he can add value to, to the game. But in terms of bypassing defenders and bypassing opponents and his overall packing game, he, he really is quite bad in terms of going forward, at least. Alex will probably want to respond to this because I know you're a huge Reinaldo yeah. fan. So I'll, yeah. I'll, let you, I'll let you go, Alex. I, I would say that that's... It's not as surprising as perhaps people may react to it because when you're thinking about packing in terms of the, what, the, what the stats are there for, they're there, to, they're there to project how advanced the team is going and how, how advanced the team is kind of pushing and, and how forward thinking they are, but also it's, it's very, very good tool and it's a very good tool in, in, explicitly detailing what kind of attacks teams use and how how often they try and push through defenses and like like we said before how often they would rather do what city does which is push wide pack past one player instead of four and then get a get a horizontal ball in i think in terms of differentiating between roles it's vital to say that genie one alder is not the progressive midfielder in this midfield he's played two games in kind of that defensive midfield role which is less defensive than Genie's normal role, which is curious because um, against Brighton earlier in the season, a game which, which he was excellent, he was very much the commander, the chief, um, kind of regaling his fellow midfielders and patrolling the areas. And as as Josh said, kind of that defensive side of his game is more expert. There is definitely a case to say that Genie needs to be more proactive, but the fact is that he is an attacking midfielder that has been over the last two years retrained and very much kind of bent back into shape and melded into something that he may not necessarily have thought he would be playing. I'm not sure that when GD signed for Liverpool, he ever in his wildest dreams anticipated playing as a centre-back in the three of the back alongside Emery Chan. Uh, but that's what happened. And that is as good a kind of indication that Genie's role is not a forward-thinking one, but more the recycler, which to Klopp's 4-3-3 is vital because the energy in the midfield only exists when they find space. And to find space, you have to basically act, have one act as the, the, the register that gets the ball to feet, have one act as the dynamo, the box-to-box, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Emre Chan, Scoot, into I've said that word a lot, Scoot, but um, dart and, and yeah, like drive into the space. Uh, but they only get the chance to drive into the space when the ball is not at their feet and they're not being pressed. And that's what Genie's excellent at: um, being able to be press resistant, being able to distribute the ball sideways. And now we have to kind of think: is the future Liverpool team that Klopp should be building, which is going to be a four-two-three-one? Is that a system in which Genie is not necessary? Is that a system in which Genie needs to play instead of Fabinho when he gets rested or if he's on a bad patch as a as that deep-lying player? Or can he still somehow fit into this? Maybe he is going to be unleashed again as that attacking midfielder. I doubt it uh, because it seemed, it seemed too contradictory to everything that Klopp built in Genie the last two years. But... I think, yeah, the fact that you said Milner, you mentioned Milner's, how how ex- excellent Milner is at it, definitely ties into the idea that different players have different roles. He's not a defensive midfielder in the same way that Lucas Toledo is a defensive midfielder. Um, 
Torreira is much more of a passer. His his packing stats would be quite excellent, I imagine, because of just the sheer amount of players he does, tends to bypass. But he needs Granite Xhaka next to him to to fulfil a different kind of role. In that same way, I'm not sure our midfield in the four three three functions without Genie, no matter how bad he was against Red Star. The entire team is pretty bad, but um, tactically, I think. His role is integral, but not forward-thinking. And James Milner's role is different in the same way James Milner's role is different to Henderson, who seems to confound both his critics and his highest kind of praises uh, because he is not forward-thinking enough for a deep midfielder, considering the entire game's ahead of him. But he's not as reserved and nowhere near as kind of restricted by his own kind of ambition, his own play, as is made out to be. Um, I just, for me, in terms of when we're talking about roles and packing, there is one midfielder who, on evidence that I saw in France, and another midfielder who, on evidence that I saw in Germany, would be ideal to resuming Liverpool's effectiveness in packing. Uh, And those two midfielders are the main subject of my article, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, in a bit. But those two basically define the fact that different midfielders have different roles. And when you're talking about packing and forward thinking and most importantly pressing, those roles only ever really flourish, i.e. Milner only ever flourishes when he's got the right setup. And I think Milner's been helped by Klopp building this team around his style of midfield, which is mobile, forward thinking, um, dynamic, even though he's 32 which is a testament to how good Milner is. But again, I don't think you can necessarily uh, castigate Genie one Alden's forward-thinking play when it comes to packing, purely because that's not his role and that's not what he's being told to do. I do think it's interesting, just before we do move on, there's two things I find interesting about Genie. One is that people seem to think him's quite a good presser, and he's one of our lo- he's easily the lowest presser of our midfielders. He's easily the person who... Pr- in terms of numbers, he's quite comfortably the worst. Not the worst, but he's the person who presses the least in our midfield. And the other thing is, a lot of people consider him to be really, really good in terms of dribbling. His dribbling numbers are atrocious. He gets dispossessed three times out of four when he tries to dribble. And he, he takes by far the, he's the, he's the fourth, he's the, you know, fourth highest dispossessed in our team behind obviously the front three, because that's what the front three do. And he's the fourth highest bad touches in our team. Again, behind the front three, because that's what the front three do. But his dribbling numbers are like distinctly mediocre. I just think that's really, really interesting. Um, and that's maybe why his packing numbers are so low, because he doesn't tend to beat players as much anymore. Um, In terms of it being dispossessed, can I just add? Um, just, I'll just add something that I haven't posted on Twitter anywhere, and like that, and it hasn't been in the piece either. But just an interesting note on uh, receiving. So, if, let's say, a ball from Shakiri beats four opposing defenders, and it it only gets recorded as beating those four opposing defenders if the ball is secured. That's what we that's what we call receiving, and attackers get a receiving score. So, in terms of Mane, is receiving score bypassing defenders. So when so when. He's received the pass that's bypassed defenders. His receiving score is better than 75%, I think, of the league. I think it's a 75. It's 70 or 75% of the league in terms of bypassing defenders. If you look at Salah, Salah's receiving 
for bypassing defenders is the best in the league, believe it or not. So, that's just an interesting note that I probably should have put in the piece of monster, but that just shows how good Mo Salah is at essentially securing the ball, really, under pressure. He's very good at using his body, isn't he? Very good at finding space. Um, and that's just an interesting little note to add there that Salah's technically the best. I should say as well, this is offensive midfielder. Salah comes under. He doesn't come under as a striker and they don't do wingers. It's either defensive midfielder or offensive midfielder. So Salah will be in the likes of, you know, David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Eden Hazard and players like that. But according to this, Salah's the best in the league in terms of securing the ball. That is really interesting. Um, I'd love to talk... I mean, we could do a whole hour unpacking. We really could. I, I was actually quite tempted just to do an entire entire uh, writer's pod just unpacking, but we are going to have to move on. Um, just read the article, really. I mean, that's the other recommendation I can make this. If there's any more questions you have about this, obviously hit Josh up on Twitter because uh, it's at Distance Covered and Josh is ob- and his uh, Twitter is obviously in the article as well and it will be in the... Um, in the header for this uh, on the on the twitter for this podcast that will be on there as well but um yeah that's that i think that's all we're going to be able to fit time within for the packing although as i say we could easily have talked about this for another 20 25 minutes um but we are going to talk about the midfield and we are going to talk about alex's article on fabinho um because i think it fits in really nicely with this idea of packing which we've already sort of dipped into a little bit um so alex i'll let you sort of kick off because we are (laughs) we are nearly 40 minutes into the pod now um so what's your take on, the, uh, just explain your article a little bit and sort of talk to us in general about Fabinho. Well, basically Fabinho is a bit good, but um, he's basically come in after Klopp for whatever reason, but they're, they're, it's fairly kind of black and white that, he, that Klopp's brought him in and expects him to get up to f- the multiple things, full fitness, full tactical nows, the ability to press, which which is kind of differentiated from tactical nous in that that's more off the ball, and I think tactical nous that he was really into him was also on the ball, and the fact that he had competition to break through. Jordan Henderson is club captain. Jenny One Alden has been excellent at times in in that number six role this year, this season, and this year. But the essence is we spent money on Fabinho. We spent a lot of money on Fabinho for good reason, and that's because he's very very good. And I, I, I will go on a slight tangent, uh, when it comes to me and my foreign teams. Uh, and you, that is you go on a tangent. <laughs> I, was, I have to. I, I'm sorry. I have to. It's a contractual obligation. Uh, Monaco this season are dreadful. And one of the key reasons that is, and one of the, also one of the key reasons they weren't so bad last season was because they refused to let key players leave. Fabinho could well have gone to PSG. He didn't, we ended up getting him. And you've got to think in a side now that Thierry Henry wants to play really proactively, really keep possession, tiki taka, um, like just hold the ball, wait for the right opening, Pep Guardiola essence. What are they missing? Well, they're missing Fabinho because they have no proper defensive midfielder. Yuri Tielemans is their entire midfield and they are just floundering. They're equal bottom of Liga and, and they're just shocking. And when you watch Monaco, you realise how good a talent Liverpool have on their hands because the, the, it's night and day between the two in terms of being able to control games. And Monaco aren't that different to us. Okay, They focus a lot more on attacking down the channels and counter-attacking than we did because we like to attack more narrow with Salah and Mane in the, and I hate this word, half spaces. 
But to use those half spaces well, you need an excellent midfield duo. Uh, and in Klopp's case, he's managed to make it work with a midfield trio. But a lot of the time, the midfield trio would become one of Oxlade Chamberlain or sometimes Emre Chan. Um, sometimes Wijnaldum or Milner would perform, perform that role. Uh, and like in the latter stages of the Champions League, basically that one of the midfielders would always peel off to the right. So they'd, they'd always leave space for the, the two midfielders in the three to really become pivot. And Fabinho against Red Star and against, um, against, uh, yeah, the home game against Red Star rather, not the away tie, obviously. Uh, and the game before Arsenal and, and the performances against Cardiff basically showed that he is what we want in a midfielder because not only is he progressive with his feet, he's progressive with his passing, always looking forwards. He patrols territory that Henderson doesn't because Henderson likes to stay central. When he gets dragged out wide, um, like we saw in, in the Leicester game, he gets dragged out wide and then he won't think about what what's behind him. He'll only think about what's aside, aside in his peripheral vision. And that's a really dangerous trait for a defensive midfielder to have. And I think the Henderson-Ford passing thing can get overblown. But the fact of the matter is Fabinho is better at forward passing because he, he is essentially a box-to-box midfielder and he doesn't have a dead ankle. And at the same time, he's a better defensive midfielder because at Monaco, he used to patrol far more space and, and it was far more open. So that's all to say that Fabinho, in the rare appearances we've seen in play, has kind of, without necessarily thriving that much, even though he did thrive, I thought, against Red Star at Anfield, he's set the template and he has set the basis for what we need our midfield to be. And now, considering our midfield was so abjectly terrible against Red Star in the away leg, it's time for Klopp to buy the bullet, realize that he spent 40 million on a player that belongs in a pivot, and he spent 60, upwards of 60, 65 million on a, on a Gideon playing in Germany who belongs in a pivot that the 433 has had its day. And it worked for, it was a recipe based on food that we had in the, the cupboard. And we've just gone out to, I was about to say an Australian supermarket there. No, we've just gone out to Sainsbury's and we've bought the finest, their finest range. And now we can actually start cooking a recipe that is catered to nice, yummy tactical food because it's, it's, if we want Fabinho and Kate to succeed, and of course we do, we spent 110 million on them and they've played a combined maybe 500 Premier League minutes, then we need them to be playing together and we need them to be playing kind of alone together without the insistence of a third midfielder there just ruining everything. Even if that midfielder is Genie Van Alden. <laughs> Even if that midfielder is Genie Van Alden, I, I will forsake my man because at, at this point, mo- at this moment, Gene doesn't really have a tactical fit. Unless you, unless Fabinho gets injured, because that's the only place I could really see him filling in. I guess the other thing is, right, if you've got a player like Genie, you can just use him in that Fabinho role and you don't have to play Fabinho and Cater every game. But the majority yeah, of people do fit well, that we too. Bought depth. And the problem is, as you know, you well know, Tom, I, I believe there are rumors circulating that you are going to release an article on this very soon. We have not had a stable midfield this season. We've used at least seven different combinations between, and we bought depth, but that doesn't mean we can't, that we shouldn't be able to, well not we, Klopp, that doesn't mean Klopp shouldn't be able to decide on a stable midfield 
and you know, Kate has been injured. Fabinho's only played 200 Premier League minutes. It's still ridiculous that we haven't got a, a full-on midfield, and Shakiri should well be that number 10. If we'd signed for Kia, our woes would be uh, would be aided so so greatly because he was perfect for that 4-2-3-1 that Klopp has insisted on. Well, not insisted, but that Klopp wants to play. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, you can slot Genie in when you want. Fabinho becomes the chief midfielder when he gets a niggle, when he needs a rest. That's fine. You bring in Henderson. Henderson would be perfectly fine for that pivot, supposing he promises and solemnly swears to pass forwards. Josh, I'll pounce to you here. We, we've had a lot of sort of bits thrown in here. So Fabinho, how important Fabinho is to the midfield. Um the issues in the midfield in general, and of course whether or not we should be playing a two or a three. What's your take on it all? Obviously, what's your take on Alex's article? What's your take on Fabinho? And what is your take on the shape of that midfield looking into the next sort of handful of games? Um, I think if you look at our next couple of fixtures, except the Champions League games, I think our next couple of fixtures in the league are quite favourable. Um, my inclination is that I'm, I'm starting to edge towards wanting to see the 4-2-3-1 on a permanent basis. I'm not the biggest formation numbers guy, me, because our system's so fluid, it, it doesn't really ever matter that much. And I think our defensive shape's effectively the same most of the time anyway, because if you're playing a 4-2-3-1 without the ball, if you then drop the two wingers back 10 yards and you drop the number 10 back 10 yards, you've still got the 4-5-1 that we defend in, in the 4-3-3 anyway. So I don't think it makes that much of a difference, but it makes a difference in the sense that players will be playing in the positions that they're comfortable in. Um, we've got Naby Keita from Leipzig. After they, they played a 4-2-2-2, I think, consistently over a number of years. We've got Fabinho from Monaco. I think they played with a double pivot as well, 4-4-2, I think, or something like that. Um, so you get, you got two top, top midfielders there, comfortable playing in a double pivot. And then you've got Shaqiri, who's really made a claim to, to be a starter. <clears throat> More so than I thought he would, to be honest. He's better than I thought he was, if I'm being totally honest. I think then you've got a, a bit of a chaotic front four, of which we'll be able to support the user. And that goes back to my earlier point on the lack of support in the attack. I think we, we really, really lack that fourth attacker. And I think playing a 4-2-3-1 allows our two best midfielders to play together in, the system, in, in a role that they're comfortable in. And it allows the four attackers to support each other. So, um, ultimately that's what I'd like to see going forward. I think, I think the double pivot would, would allow, it almost has a reduced emphasis on creation, really. The front, the midfield too. And it, it, it's got a reduced emphasis on mobility to an extent as well, because it, if you've got a lone pivot with a, with two ahead of those, they're, there's emphasis on that, on them two ahead of them to um, to make vertical runs consistently, and to you know to to move up and down the field. Whereas if you got a if you got a double pivot, the the movement's more sideways and it's just it's more of a consoling mechanism. Um, they just simply task most of the time with breaking up play with the front floor from four, sorry, being able to just go on and win the game in essence. That's what I'd like to see going forward. I'd like to see more of Shakiri and more of Fabinho and. Uh, Kater playing together in a double pivot, but I think the future lies with the 4-2-3-1 for us. 
I guess that's the question, right? I mean, obviously, we're all in agreement. We want to see more of the 4-2-3-1, and we want to see... Maybe, you know, if we're going to go to the 4-3-3 in the big games, that's not necessarily an issue. And obviously, it offers lots of rotation options. But Alex, is that something you see Klopp doing? Is that something that you... I mean, we've obviously talked about uh, Fabinho, obviously, was rested against Red Star, and he brought back in Milner and Genie. Milner started pretty much consistently when he's been fit, and it's only he's only gone to that 4-2-3-1 when Milner, Cater and Henderson were all sort of unavailable at once. So do you see Klopp abandoning that 4-3-3 and switching to the 4-2-3-1 as maybe we think he should? Or do you think that Henderson will just come straight back into that midfield against Fulham when he's fit and it'll be, you know, a Hendo-Milner midfield again in, in at the weekend against Fulham? I actually think he's been trying to implement the 4-2-3-1 and has had pushback from circumstances. If you what Southampton... Played 4-2-3-1, absolutely rolled them in the first half. Then he takes Shakiri off, um, because he saw the tactical tweak that they were kind of getting a bit too much space in behind. And we looked very flat for that second half. In the Champions League, we looked more comfortable playing 4-2-3-1 against Red Star. Whenever Shakiri's played, it's essentially been that 4-2-3-1. Um, and he's really been pushing that idea, I think, of a front four. Because, you know, if you ask me, it's because he didn't get Fakir and now he's trying to make it work. And the fact that we were so close to getting Fakir consolidates that idea for me that no, the 4-3-3 was something that was working last season. But as soon as we went into that Champions League final with a midfield that got absolutely and thoroughly outclassed, he decided, no, I'm going to, well, not necessarily return to my Dortmund days, but I'm going to go back to what? the essence of my tactics were, which was gag and press as a unit, make that creative outlet, the, the, the press. Um, and as we discussed with pack, with packing, pressing can be as effective at packing as kind of dribbling or passing. And to win the ball back up high, you need to set traps. And this year, or this season rather, the first few months, we've been noticeably absent at setting a lot of traps. Cy Brundish put this up. Uh, a couple of days ago, I believe, or might have been last night. We have over the last, I think it's seven of our last eight games, we've been outrun. Arsenal, we got thoroughly outrun in terms of total kilometers covered. Um, it's just, it's just, a, just disparity between what Klopp wants and what we're actually getting. So if you ask me, I don't think the 433 is here for long. Its tenure is pro- probably going to be restricted to, yeah, big games, like you said. Um, away from home, especially. But A, I think we want to set up, whether that's with the potential of Fakir or with the potential of uh, another auxiliary number 10 slash number 8, take your pick, there's loads of them out there for the future, or whether that's to suit the fact that we spent 100, 110 million on this shiny midfield that needs to be in a two. Uh, I do see the future being the 4231. Only necessary. I think if it was only out of necessity, then we wouldn't have seen it already this season. I think this is a Klopp idea that he wants to push forward to. Uh, and I think a lot of that is down to the fact that it succeeded with Dortmund and he wants to go back to that and see if he can innovate that again, which is a very Klopp idea, sticking to core beliefs and just innovating and tweaking. Okay. And um, Josh, I'll sort of ask you this sort of similar question. Regard, do you think that at the moment we're going to see that 4-2-3-1 continue or do you think that Klopp is going to jump back to the 4-3-3 at the first chance he gets? 
I don't think it's going to be a case of jumping back at the first chance he gets because I'd be surprised if he actually wants to. I think the only reason the only reason I see for him to jump back is to is for rotation purposes and to include the likes of Henderson and Milner and Wijnaldum. He obviously has a lot of loyalty to understandably so. Henderson's the club captain, Milner's the vice captain. So it's a, it would be a bit of a odd situation if the club captain and the vice captain aren't in the strongest eleven. But that's probably the case if you're going to be playing a four-two-three-one because. As I said earlier, you've got two top-class centre midfielders, both who are comfortable in the double pivot, both who will complement each other very well. And, f- you know, for me, they start. So, I don't know, it really is difficult. It's one of them where it's... I'm not sure if it's a nice problem to have or not. You know, people would say it is, but... You're dealing with player happiness here, and the, I think the more you rotate, the more you risk... Like, I think going out the... Going out the Capital One Cup or whatever you call it nowadays, Carabao Cup, going out that cup has been a bad thing for us, I think. Because I think Klopp will have viewed that competition as that's where my second things get their fitness from. That's where the, my second things get their minutes. And I think going out in the first round will have been a shock. And I think that's why the likes of Lana is now playing in the Champions League. And, you know, th- things like that. That's why Moreno's starting in the Premier League. Because we haven't got that second competition to, um, or we haven't got that inferior competition, sorry, to, to give these players minutes. So I think, I think these formation changes are purely because of rotation purposes. I don't think we've got a settled squad for a settled system. I think we've got a, a squad, all of which prefers different midfield combinations, perhaps. And I don't know, it's, it's an interesting one for Klopp to solve, really. I'm going to stick with you, Josh. I just want to sort of bounce back to the crux of the article, which is Fabinho. How impressed have you been with him? And how do you think going forward he's going to play uh, a key role in this side? I have been impressed with him in terms of his ball winning ability and his ball progression. Um, this is something that I've posted on my Twitter accounts. If you follow me, I, I was watching, I watched every or almost every preseason game. And one of the things I picked up on almost immediately was is is intense on passing forwards, is his nature to pass forwards. And that sounds like obviously not much of a, a big thing. And this is something I think I've appeared on this podcast earlier earlier in the season in fact. Because I wrote a piece on it on injecting forward passing into Liverpool midfield. And we talked about Keita and we talked about Fabinho. And it was something that I just picked up on early on. If he's got if he's say for example playing a four three three, then Fabinho's got five players ahead of him. More often than not, if he picks up the ball on the pivot, he's got two, he should have two eight runners outside of him. Or perhaps a fullback, if, you know, depending on situation. He'll have Salah and Mane. And he'll have Fabinho. So, a lot of the time, our defensive midfielder in a 4-3-3 at least, will have options to find ahead of him. So it's quite crucial that the, the player in that role is comfortable passing the ball forwards, really. Making vertical passes. So I've been impressed in that, in that regard. And in terms of his ball winning against Red Star, it was one of the best ball winning players I've seen from a Liverpool player. Henderson's put in a few good ones. But Fabinho was just, he was just forcing so many turnovers, it was ridiculous. And when, when you've got such a fast front line, and you've got a manager who's, who has emphasis on pressing and emphasis on counter attacks, to have a player that's gonna force turnovers like that, it's gonna be highly beneficial, but, I do think in the Arsenal game, although he's received some support, and although it's a systematic issue, 
rather than himself. I do think he was a bit, um, I don't know what the word is, a bit like, a little bit lost in, in, in a sense. Not to the point where it's overly concerning, but he did look like a bit like he was chasing shadows. The whole side did, don't get me wrong, but in, in that game, I think it was just a, he doesn't come across as the most mobile and I know, I know that that's perhaps a myth and that's perhaps, you know, the whole, the whole thing that he can only play in a double pivot and he can't play as a long pivot. That's, that remains to be seen for me. That's not, not something I'm, I'm too set on, but I think something I'd like to see improved is his, um, I'd just like to see him a bit more composed. I'd like to see him in terms of consoling situations though, because in the Arsenal game, he was giving away a fair amount of fouls and, just things like that. I think they, we need more work on, but that, that'll improve and I've got no doubt that he'll improve as overall. I think he's still a young lad, so overall, good sign and overall, um, he will improve as going forward. Okay. In that case, I will jump back to you, Alex, and I'll let you have the final word on this topic and sort of the final word in general because we are running a bit short on time now. So yeah, anything you wanted to add in terms of Fabinho or the midfield in general or anything like that before you finish up? Well, yeah, in terms of relating it back to packing, there's there's a word that I use to describe what Fabinho is for our midfield, and that's kind of a fulcrum, uh, and that's the platform from which we lurch forwards. And if we're going to make the best out of our forward play, we need his, as Josh just mentioned, forward thinking in terms of his progression. Uh, we also need him and Cater together because that'll bring the best out of Cater. Um, I the Arsenal game exposed his tendency to get flustered when he gets overloaded, and that did happen. Uh, PSG, I just think, I remember, used to target um, that kind of deep base of Monaco's midfield because they just kept loading players, cutting him in from the wings and loading players towards him. So it will be curious to see how he responds the next time he gets overloaded like that. I'd, I'd like to think that he is coming to grips with the Premier League a bit more. Um, but in terms of being the fulcrum of, of, of Klopp's midfield, he is the one that will make everyone else kind of succeed. Uh, if Cater is to be the dynamic, gloriously energetic, explosive midfielder we know him to be, that we saw at Leipzig, that he needs to be in a two and, and he needs to have space around and he needs to have the ball won and fed to him quickly so he can carry us all up the pitch. Um, Fabinho, another one, another thing that he's, he's exemplified is his ability to have the ball and be responsible once he's won it back. Um, and in terms of going forwards and looking at the future, I think it's time for Klopp to just take the risk and say, look, I spent a lot of money on this midfield duo. It's time to let them do what they can. And it's time to, as we were talking about earlier in the podcast, try and make good on the amount of packing that we are packing in um, into our like into our match days and into our games, into our tactics, and tr- try and make it count. Because right now something's off and something's not working. So if we can get more forward thinking, more progression, more support for those forwards, and crucially, if we can avoid not just the Red Star game, but the Huddersfield game and the Madrid final and even the second leg against Roma, we need to avoid having our midfield completely bypassed again because Genie, Milner, Henderson as a trio, Genie, Milner, Lalana as a trio, there is no spark in that. 
Um, and it's time, I think, for us to be bold and try and find the spark in Fabinho, Cater, and likely Shakiri as the number 10. But also, lest not we forget, in terms of discussing the 4-2-3-1, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain will be back, and he is the optimal role, either on the right, and you drop Firmino into the number 10, or as that third midfielder. So I don't think all the doom and gloom is necessarily for the long run, uh, because we do have a class, class midfielder as our our new shiny signing, and hopefully he goes out and proves that. Brilliant stuff, guys. Brilliant stuff. Um, So I will let you uh, plug first then. Josh, is there anything else that you want to out there at the moment that you've got out that you want to plug? Uh, not at the moment, no, but if you'd like to read the pack and piece that we've talked about, um, that's at the top of bank profile on Twitter. That's um, at distance covered. So I'll uh, check that one out. And Alex, is there anything that you want to plug at the moment? I know you've got uh, another article out soon, haven't you? Yes, I do indeed. And um, fantifully enough, it's about the 4231. Uh, it's about a lot of things we talked about here today. So if you want to go give that a read, uh, it should be, by the time this comes out, it should well be already out. If not, it'll be out within 24 hours. Um, yeah, so that's just me exploring the fixes to this malaise. Wicked stuff. I have got an article out at the moment on Bobby Firmino, whether or not it's time for him to be dropped or whether or not we need to find the solution within the in the starting 11 to keep him in the team um i've got an article coming out similar sort of time frame to alex's so next couple of days and that one is going to be on again the midfield as alex mentioned and basically how klopp needs to stop chopping and changing it and just pick a team and stick with it and that's the only way we're going to actually improve this midfield because at the moment there's too much change in there um and i should have one out in the next week or so about joe gomez as well and whether or not him he has prevented the need for a, a centre-back signing, which is something that everyone was banging on about in the summer, but seems to have gone very quiet on since then. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for coming on, gents. That was a really, really good pod. Um, I've really, really enjoyed just sitting and listening to the two of you talk, to be honest. Um, and thank you very much to Guy, who I'm, I'm sure has had, has had as much fun as I have just sitting and listening. Um, thank you to everyone who edits. Thanks, of course, to Leanne, who obviously couldn't make, be on this week, but obviously contributes a lot. You know, even when she's not on the pod, she's still contributing behind the scenes. Um, so yeah, yeah, love you, Leanne. We do miss you. She'll be back next week, hopefully. And thank you, of course, to everyone who listened to this pod, because uh, without the listeners, we wouldn't be able to make this pod happen. Um, so yeah, we will be back next week. Um, not sure when yet, but hopefully similar sort of time. And until then, have a good week. And hopefully, the Reds will be back after a thumping win against Fulham. Podcast Network.